Amen. Let's pray. Ask the Lord to speak to our hearts and change our lives and do what he does. Hallelujah. Repeat after me with me, however it works for you best. Avinu Malkinu, our Father and our King, give me eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to perceive, and the will to obey your word that I hear today in Yeshua's name. Amen. So today is the last installment of our series, 2022, A Time for Change. And we talked about in this series so far, changing in our relationship with the Lord, that some of us need to get perhaps a little more serious and be diligent in our relationship with Yeshua. We talked about change in our health, spiritually, physically, and otherwise, right, where we might have to make a few tweaks in our life so that we could line up with the word of God and be good stewards of uh, the body God's given us, more importantly, to be spiritually in tune with the Ruach HaKodesh. And I really encourage you to take these messages to heart because there's not one of us in this room that doesn't need to change. God is changing our lives. That's what he does, right? That's our testimony, that we have been changed. Yes, there was an initial change, and thank God for it. And many, for many of us, that initial change was very radical, right? But there are subtle changes, right, as we grow in the Lord, and they should be evident in our lives, and we should be open to that and never think that we've arrived just because we're in the Lord 30 years or 40 years. No, we're continually changing, right, from glory to glory. And we need to have that heart, a receptive heart, to be able to grow and to change. So today we're going to be talking about this last installment is investments that last the heart of giving. Now, when it's all said and done, it's not going to be what we have done or accumulated on this earth that will make the greatest impact from our lives. Rather, it will be what we have done and how we have invested in eternal things that will count most, right? It's those eternal investments that will last forever. The topic of tithing and giving is a spiritual principle. And that's why it should be a comfortable conversation to have among the community of faith. God has blessed us with the ability to gain wealth and to provide for the material needs and some of the wants of our families. And for that we say Baruch Hashem, right? He gives us the power to get wealth. And with that said, he also wants us to be attentive to the needs of the kingdom of God so that his message and glory can be advanced on the earth. It takes a spiritual community to invest into spiritual things. Let's face it, the world, if the world had its way, we would just be starved out and die and leave the scene. Correct? They have no use for us. They have no use for spiritual things. They're certainly not eternally minded. So God doesn't look to the people of the world to advance his kingdom, right? He looks to his people. And it takes his people to be able to say, yes, I want to see the kingdom of God go forward. And I want to invest into the kingdom of God eternal things so that God's kingdom and God's glory will be seen throughout the earth. So the question is, where have you been investing? And do we need to grow in the area of investing into eternal things? Where are you storing up your nest egg? Where do you put the bulk of your talents? These questions are all too important to ignore. So today we're gonna to be looking at biblical stewardship as it concerns giving. And there was an article I was reading and it said this, 
And I quote, the body of Messiah today is not great, but giving. This isn't exactly news, but it's a statistical fact. Tithers make up only 10 to 25% of a normal congregation. Only 5% of the United States tithes, with 80% of Americans only giving 2% of their income. Believers are only giving at a 2.5% per capita, while during the Great Depression, they gave at a 3.3% rate. And so you hear that, right? Who was worse off than the folks who went through the Great Depression? Numbers like that can invoke guilt, but guilt isn't the point. The larger point is, what would happen if believers were to increase their giving to a minimum of, let's say, the biblical standard, 10%? Hear this. There would be an additional $165 billion for congregations to use and distribute. The global impact would be phenomenal. Here's just a few things the kingdom of God could do with these resources. Hear this. 25 billion could help relieve global hunger, starvation, and deaths from preventable diseases in five years. 12 billion could potentially eliminate illiteracy in five years. 15 billion could solve the world's water and sanitation issues specifically at places in the world where one billion people live on less than one dollar a day. One billion dollars could fully fund all overseas outreach. 100 to 110 billion would still be left over for additional ministry expansion. That's mind boggling. And that's if simply the people in the kingdom of God, we're faithful to tithe. Those are amazing numbers, shocking even. But before we get started, I want to say that by speaking on biblical stewardship as it pertains to giving, I am doing my part of discipling you in the ways of God, because God himself has plenty to say about this subject, and we should be educated in it, in order to make informed decisions concerning where we choose to invest. So remember, this is not a natural principle. It is a spiritual principle that affects the entire body of Messiah. This is about each of us being on the right side of what God instructs us in his word and about handling our money and our giving appropriately. So, number one, make sure your treasure is in eternal things. And we invest in the things that are important to us. Isn't that the truth? Sure. Matter of fact, if you looked at my checking, my checkbook, or online checkbook, whatever that is, you would get a sense of what I deem important, right? Corey Ten Boom said this, I have held many things in my hands and I have lost them all, but whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And that's in Matthew chapter 6, verses 21 through 23. That article continued and it said this, so, so why don't we give? The real problem when it comes to our giving is not about money, not really. Actually, the Bible says it's about our eyes. Rather, it's what Yeshua called the evil eye. The term evil eye is a Jewish term. 
Whereas a good eye in Judaism refers to goodwill, benevolence, and being genuinely happy when others prosper, rejoicing when others suffer, or not rejoicing when others suffer, I should say, being genuinely happy when others prosper, the evil eye is quite the opposite. The person with an evil eye feels distressed when others prosper. Selah. They feel distressed when others are blessed. And almost rejoice when others suffer. An evil eye loves their money and would do nothing in the way of charity. They're not interested in giving to others. Commenting on Matthew chapter 6, this passage, Stern says this. He says, in Judaism, having a good eye, an ayin tova, means being generous. And having a bad eye, an ayin ra'ah, means being stingy. That this is the correct interpretation is confirmed by the context. Greed and anxiety about money being the topic in both the preceding and following verses. So when Yeshua speaks about the eye, he was speaking to a Jewish audience who knew what he was talking about. They knew a good eye was a generous person and an evil eye was a covetous, stingy, sour person. And how many of you know that those are spiritual conditions of the heart? The truth is, giving is a heart issue, not a money issue. Matter of fact, when Rav Shaul spoke about the legendary giving of the Macedonian congregation, he urged the Corinthian congregation to prove their love like the Macedonians proved theirs. And this is what he says in 2 Corinthians 8. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, See to it also, see, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. And he takes it a step further and talked about the highest standard in love and giving. And in verse 9, he says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Yeshua HaMashiach, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. God has always had a special place in his heart for faithful givers. In chapter 9 of the same book, it says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Meaning this, that even as we speak about a tithe and an offering, the tithe belongs to God. But God doesn't want our tithes if our hearts are not fully for him. What does that say? That God is really after our heart. And that a tithe just naturally follows. It's not forced or coerced. Where someone says, I want that 10%. No, a tithe follows a heart that is following God. Matter of fact, when I first came to faith, I didn't give anything. <laughs> I just showed up and you see everyone, you know, um, at offering time, giving their finances. And then someone taught on the principle of giving and tithing. And I said, okay, well, if that's what the scripture says, then I'm going to just start to give and to tithe. And it is amazing how when you simply obey God in the, a little thing, but it was done out of sincerity of heart. The, the leader didn't coerce me into, you have to give. They just taught me the word of God. And because I loved God and wanted to follow God in his word, I certainly wanted to follow him in this area of my life as well. And when I did it, it is amazing how God meets our needs and how he opens up things for us that were closed before. 
try to talk to an unspiritual person about giving to the kingdom of God, and they will respond by saying something like, you're just trying to rope me out of my hard-earned money. But ask the person who loves God, and they say, how can I help? And that's the difference. How could I help? I mean, I think about it, you know. Listen, if we have a good run here on earth, let's say we live 90, 100 healthy years. And should I be concerned about the kingdom of God? Shouldn't I be concerned about God's kingdom? And the message, like all the things that we enjoy sitting in a room. I mean, how many of us heard the good news? Okay, only a few of us. Okay, <laughs> the, the, we're going we're gonna to have, have a prayer at the end. <laughs> Give you a great opportunity. And listen, I know it's on giving and you're reluctant to, to raise your hand. <laughs> but trust me, we're not signing you up for anything. Um, But we heard that because God's kingdom was able to reach us. There is people who believed in the message, people who put up a facility that you could come in and hear. All those things, those resources, it's because people who love God said, you know what, I could spend it on myself, I could spend it on frivolous things, or I could invest it into God's kingdom to see the same message that touched and transform me, touch, and transform others. You see, the full power of tithing and giving is found in grace, not in fear. It's in grace. It's something we get to do rather than something we have to do. I mean, let's face it, if we're honest, each of us have been invited in to a pretty exclusive club. Now, everyone's invited, we know, but we took them up on that offer. And we, I mean, it's really mind-boggling if you think about it. You and me have access to the God of all the universe. Try to meet with your local councilman. <laughs> It'll take you forever, you know. And if they have a different, you know, perhaps persuasion than you, they'll never meet with you. But the God of the universe welcomes us to seek his face. It's pretty wonderful. So if giving is a heart issue and my heart treasures God and his kingdom, then my giving, like my actions, include my behavior, and they will reflect what my heart deems the most important. So that's the first thing, is where do you, your treasures lie? Second thing is we need to partner with God and allow God to access your account. <laughs> I'll tell a quick story. I mean, we've all been through this with children, right? You take a child out for lunch and you buy him a meal and then you dare to like pinch your french fry. And what do they do? They, you can't have the french fry. And you sit there and you're like, well, gee whiz. I bought you the french fries. Matter of fact, I bought the meal. And if truth be told, I could go up and I could get 10 packs of french fries. I'm only asking you for one stinking french fry. But the kid does not want to give you the french fries. It's kind of like we are, we are with God. God gives us everything. And then God says, can I get a french fry? And we say, no. No french fry. 
And God is a father. He does what we do. No French fries. Yeah, with the French fries. Can I give you the French fries in the first place? <laughs> and God is looking for us to say, you know, God, have the French fries. Have all you want. Because I know this about God. If I give God my French fry, he'll buy me more if I'm hungry. I know I, was, I, I could always go to the Father and say, I'm still hungry. Can I get some more French fries? And he will supply that for me. God wants us to manage what we have for his glory, for his kingdom purposes. God expects us to manage our time, our talent, our temple, our testimony, and our treasure. Secondly, he wants us to give back a portion of what he has given us for his kingdom and his truth to go forward. Like I said, if the world had its way, we would be quiet and disappear. Our building, they would prefer it to be like a used car or a car dealership. They're not concerned about the things that concern us. We're concerned about eternity. God expects that we, his people, are concerned about these things and want to give so that it can be accomplished. So D.L. Moody says, if God be your partner, make your plans large. Well, some might focus on the aspect of that quote from the perspective of large and grandiose plans. But I want to emphasize the first part of the quote, if God be your partner. If God is your partner, then God gets a French fry. Or a chicken nugget, could you imagine? I was going to use chicken nuggets, but then I said, well, you only get six. You know, if you're a kid, you only get six nuggets, and, you know, you're taking, that's a lot to ask. <laughs> but, you know, you get a pack of French fries, there got to be at least 20 or 25 of them. Yeah, you know, nuggets, only six, and I take a nugget, and the kid's going to be really uptight. Yeah. So I went with the French fries. But if God's your partner, he should not be in the position of only giving to you, but also receiving from you. Isn't that what a partnership is? Does your, your spouse only give to you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Women, be good, be nice. Be nice. No, there is a give and a take, giving and receiving. And that's the way good partnerships last and work. Well, the same is true. Because you know what? The little pet peeve of the rabbi is where we talk about faith and trusting God. And it's always one-sided, isn't it? Well, God, could I trust you that if I give you the tithe that you're going to take care of me? Well, what about could God trust me? Could God trust me to do what he wants me to do? So when God says, Abraham, take your son, your only son, you know the one I gave you? And go offer him on the mountain I'm going to show you. Abraham didn't say anything but, okay. His trust is, it works both ways. So God's my partner, and he'll buy me french fries, but if God wants one of those french fries, or even two of those french fries, he should, yeah, God, you could have two. Well, Michael, today I feel like having ten. Okay. Have ten. Because I know there's going to be days where... God does, like we pray, exceedingly abundantly above, I ask or imagine. 
So why can't I partner with God on his terms? A rabbi says this, and I quote, one of the great differences that set Jewish people apart from other cultural groups is that we see our wealth as a means to partner with God, as a way to bring God's kingdom into this earth, a concept that we call tikkun olam, or perfecting the world. We, per we perfect the world by using our God-given wealth to further God's realm on this planet. So what you see is that the Jewish people's pursuit of wealth is often paired with the pursuit of charitable works. Not only for selfish purposes. This is the secret of how the Jewish people have created a hedge against chaos in their partnership with God. Sharing creates room in your life for more blessings to come in. Giving creates an endless circuit. You earn, you give, and then you earn more. You earn, you give, and then you earn more. It's a powerful thing to cultivate a giving heart. Do you ever think about a time where you were really in need and someone helped you? I could think about it being a young couple making next to nothing. And our parents opened their home to us to live in the basement, the finished basement. Well, here's the truth. We couldn't afford to live anywhere else. And we were there for about a year, two years. And let me tell you this, there were many times we popped up for dinner too. <laughs> because of generosity. See, to do this means, and this is my third and final point, means to make tithing and giving a non-negotiable principle in your life. Here's the truth, this is my take. It's not my money. In fact, it's not even my life. God gave me this life and said, now, go serve my kingdom. And when God has asked me to tithe, I did that. And there was many times we gave above and beyond, way above and beyond, way beyond our means because we saw the kingdom of God had a need. And our lives are about the kingdom of God. My life used to be about me. It used to be about buying bigger and better and more. It used to be about having the latest and the greatest. My, my, my son said to me, my son has been, my son's been into, for whatever reason, I guess he's gearing up, looking at homes. So he shows me a home. He said, Dad, what do you think? I said, very nice. Maybe me and your mother will put the, the house up for sale. And, and he said, Dad. <laughs> he said, I, I have my eye in that home. You know, whatever he's saying. And he said, you know, Dad, you and Mom are rabbis. You're, you're not really that interested. You're content with your house. And you know what the truth is? We are content. We're good. It's about people anyway. It's about the people in your home. It's about the relationships that you have. It's about fostering the spirit of God in your home. It's about God. 
And, you know, I could tell you, we have so much fun at our house. Fun. You know, it's not, you know, a stuffy place to live. <laughs> because we are content. Because God has been good. You know, you can look at things many different ways. And, you know, and we're going to get to the scripture in a second. If you were to ask me now, listen, I'm not wealthy at all. But if you were to ask me, I would say this, that God has opened up the windows of heaven and poured out his blessings on my life and family. I would say that. I would say I have everything I need. I am not in want for anything. Well, an occasional, you know, of course you get a hankering for sometimes a little ditty here and there, right? A little treat. But by and large, not extravagant. So what if tithing is actually one of God's great gifts to us? What if tithing isn't opposed to grace, but is actually a vehicle of grace? And I want to suggest to you that is exactly what it is. Because God is not a taker. God's a giver. Can you imagine, what if I said this to you? Everyone who talks to me after service and gives me $10 in a week, I'm going to make it $20 and I'll give you a coin. I'd have a long line at the end of the service. <laughs> I'm going to say, I'm going to take your 10 and next week I'm going to give you 20. And everyone would sign up for that. Because I'm going to read this verse. It's a verse to many... <laughs> Many people despise, <laughs> but it really is a good verse, and I'll explain to you why. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me even this whole nation. Now, you are cursed with a curse. We don't like that. I don't like that. But I want to tell you something. God doesn't do the cursing. The curse is a result of breaking the principles of the kingdom of God. Because what is God's goal is to get you provision. Isn't he a good father? What does a good father want to do? He wants to provide for all your needs according to his glorious riches. That's what he wants to do. And when we give, it is a vehicle of God's grace to get us the things we need. Now, there's a whole lot of other things involved, of course. We go to work with the strength and ingenuity that God gave us, and we make a living. And God blesses that, and we have the means to be able to live our life, get some goodies. But it doesn't mean we are allowed to, if, now this is only if we are God's people, right? If we're God's people, then that will be seen in our handling of finances. So this verse has a sense about it. As if the people truly do not understand why things aren't going well for them, or that they're even at odds with God. They don't get it. What do you mean? What's up? What do you mean? I'm robbing God. He says in tithes and offerings.
So if you say, will a man rob God? And we should answer, of course not. It's ridiculous. Don't rob God. Then God says that the people have robbed him. And we're like, no way. How did we do that? And then he tells them by neglecting the biblical principle of tithes and offerings. And it's, here, here's the kicker. It's, the, it's a principle for our sake. Not his. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The earth is the Lord's and what? The fullness of what? Everything in it belongs to God. Everything. So I always like to say God's doing okay. Matter of fact, when you read the book of Revelation, what does it say about the streets of the New Jerusalem? What are they going to be made of? Gold. How's that? Imagine you walked into your house and God installed, you know, it'd be a little much for me, to be honest with you. I don't even like gold fixtures personally, but. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Very principal, you know, some people, I, you know, you, when, you, when you go online, there's uh, all these, cra- you know, there's the people, the anti-tithers, oh, it's not biblical. Well, here's the truth. When you read the Brit Chadashah in context, so a principle like tithing, like all the other Jewish things, are sewn into the fabric. It's a given. There's a lot of things Yeshua did not have to instruct the Jewish people about because they knew it. They're Jews living in the land. You don't have to tell them about tithing. You don't have to tell them about these things. They know it. And he says that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will be not enough room to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed for you will be a delightful land says the Lord of hosts. The scripture is clear. The tithe, which is 10% of our income, goes toward the work of God. It's for the kingdom of God. And since it is counterintuitive, like many principles in the word of God, he reassures us that, hey, if you give me the French fry, there'll be an endless supply of French fries for you. If you give it to me, not coerced out of you. Because I'll tell you right now, if you were ever coerced into giving and you gave, it did nothing. I don't give because I'm coerced into giving. I give because I desire to give God. I wish I could give more. In other words, it's going to act as a perpetual flow from us to God and from God to us. Partnership from us to God and God to us. Me to God, God to me. Why does God require ties in the first place? Well, the scriptures refer to the body of Messiah as a nation, right? Chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation, his own special people. Like I said, right? No one else is, wants to, is, is, is concerned for your neighbor's salvation, Right, except for someone in the kingdom of God, part of the nation. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And not, like, uh, like, not unlike an earthly nation, 
I mean, first of all, our nation requires more than 10%, doesn't, doesn't it? And we think it's too much, don't we? But here's the truth, that we pay taxes, right? But what would we do if we didn't pay anything and a foreign power decides it wants to invade the United States and we couldn't defend ourselves? We wouldn't like that because we would want to be protected, right? So we do. Well, God's kingdom is in need of certain things so to do the business of the kingdom. Matter of fact, remember when they built the tabernacle and the temple and they gave the charge, hey, we need these things. What did they do? The people responded and they gave and gave and gave and gave to the point where they said, no more. Stop giving, because you're giving too much. But the point was, God wanted a testimony of his greatness in the earth. And so that's why we give into the kingdom of God. With that said, I understand this. I understand that many people still struggle parting with finances and they suffer for it. The thinking is that if I give God a tenth or a tithe, I will not have enough to cover my responsibility. And this happens because people tend to look at it like a mathematical equation rather than a spiritual principle. And, you know, be honest with you, so, sometimes I'm amazed. I mean, is anyone else like this? I'm amazed of all the things we get, like, I remember when we, when we bought our house, and they give you the mortgage, but they don't realize how much you're giving. See, they think all that money that you're giving is available for the house and for the mortgage, but they, didn't, they don't know that, no, no, that money is off limits in our mind. So that 20% is going to the kingdom of God. That's not going in case I need to pay the mortgage. And it's amazing when you do that, right, that the finances are just there because it's not a mathematical equation as much as a spiritual principle. When you give to God, he takes care of us somehow, some way. Is it just me or have you ever scratched your head after seeing your finances, looking at your checkbook and that everything is paid? <laughs> you ate like a king and a queen you were able to do the little things. You went out to dinner, this, that, and the other thing. You bought a new car. And you gave to the kingdom of God. And you say, how could it be? But it is. I've had that revelation many times in the course of my life. So Dave Ramsey says this. He said, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. Luke says, give and it shall be given unto you, and it's more blessed to give than to receive. Someone said, tithing isn't something I do to clear my conscience so that I could do whatever I want with the 90%. Because that also belongs to God. I must seek his direction and permission for whatever I do with the full amount. I may discover that God has different ideas than I do. Listen. I know the key to, you know, when we talk about growing and the complete package of what we do in the kingdom of God. Giving is a component of spiritual maturity. And I'll, let me tell you this little testimony here. I'll read it. I never will forget this. I went and threw myself across my daughter's bed, and I cried and cried and cried and cried because I felt like I had been so faithful and that there was no financial breakthrough for us. 
You ever have one of those days where you're tired of hearing everybody else's testimony? But I made a decision that day, and I think we all have to come to this point in many different areas of our life. And as I lay across that bed and cried, when I finally got done crying, I said this out loud. It was like my declaration, God, I am going to tithe and give offerings until the day I die, whether I ever see anything from it or not. And you know what? From that day forward, we began to prosper and increase. And I believe with all my heart that that was a test for me. So in order to make investments that last, we must have a heart of giving and giving, like I said, is a matter of the heart. What is most important to you? It's a matter of faith. Who do you trust? And it's a matter of priority. Who comes first? I can only speak for myself and my family. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What's most important to me and to us is the kingdom of God. Who do I trust? The Lord God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. Who comes first? Yeshua comes first. Yeshua comes first. Everything else is secondary to him. That's me. I know God wants us to grow in this area. And he wants to bring liberty and release. He wants to partner with you. He wants to share your time. He wants to bless you. You know, it's funny, you say, you know, God wants to bless you. Does that mean that I get everything I want? Certainly not. No way. But that, like I said earlier, if you were to ask me, Rabbi, what do you think? How's that serving the kingdom of God worked out for you? And I would say, say exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ever ask or imagine. Because God is faithful. God is good. If you say, God, I'm hungry, he says, here, some fries. And they have to be McDonald's fries, sorry. Fresh. You know, it's a freeing thing. And I don't have to worry about that area of my life. God is good. Let's stand to our feet. Now, here's the good news. We're not taking an offering. <laughs> no. Because I want to say this again. You should never be coerced into any spiritual principle. But you should have a conviction deep down in your heart that it's the right thing to do. And I would just challenge you to just to see where you are at in that area of your life. Because we're talking about growth in our next year, right? So next year, we want to be prayer warriors. We want to be people who are closer to God. We want to be people who have good relationships. But we also want to be people who are generous, right? And people who give and sow into eternal things and not only into our earthly, fleshly thing. Amen? So let's pray. Avino Mankino, our Father and our King, Lord, we thank you that you have, Lord, given us, Lord, far beyond 
what we could ever have, Lord, from the world alone. God, you have given us blessings and favor. You have poured out your spirit upon us. Lord, you have caused our meager finances to stretch and multiply to meet all of our needs. And God, we acknowledge today that every good thing comes from you. Lord, we know that you are the keeper and sustainer of our lives, of our finances, of our homes, of our children. Lord, that every good thing we have, Lord, is because you are gracious and merciful. And Lord, we offer it back to you. We say, here we are, God. Our lives are yours for your kingdom purposes and for your glory. Hallelujah. Stretch forth your hand. Let me bless you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his sweet shalom. Father, I pray that you would bless your people. Lord, I pray that you would do exceedingly, abundantly above all they ask or imagine. Abba, I pray, Lord God, that you would show them how great you are, and each one in this room would bring glory and honor to the name of Yeshua HaMashiach. And we ask it in his precious and holy name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. Shabbat shalom. We'll see you next time.